If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. All right. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Tonight we conclude our series on this book, and I have enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed studying through the book with you, and I hope that you've appreciated uh, our time together. I want to say also, uh, as we get started tonight, what a joy it is to come to church, to be in uh, fellowship and to encourage one another. You know, there may be times in our lives where uh, we felt like we have to come to Bible study or to worship because it's required of us. Uh, we may come because we are afraid somebody might call us if we don't. But hopefully we reach a, t- a stage in our life that we can't wait until the doors are opened again. And I know we feel that way. We can't wait to get to services again. And, and it grieves us when we're not here, too, uh, because we miss being with you and miss being able to be a part of this fellowship. And so I just want to say uh, how grateful we are, I am, to be a part of this congregation. I love what's happening here in Somerdale and love each of you and just so grateful to be a part of the great work here and uh, look forward to many more years together working and serving and doing some great things in our community together. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for being here tonight to join us in our study. Uh, In Jonah so far, we have covered uh, some of the things that took place in Nineveh. Last week we talked about uh, how the people would have responded to the message Jonah brought. Uh, A statement was made in uh, in a text message. I won't mention who it was. I don't want to embarrass her. But uh, the question was asked to me about what Jonah looked like when he came out of the fish, because I said that you know, his skin, his pigmentation of his skin would have been bleached. And the question was, what about his clothes? And it is very likely that his skin and his clothes would have had some kind of a bleached uh, pigmentation. All the, the color may have been removed from it. So not only did he smell a fright, it's possible that when he came out onto the shore and walked into the city, that his entire body was very light colored. And the comparison was made to Moses. Remember when Moses came down off Mount Sinai, as he made his way towards the people, they were overwhelmed at the sight of him. And they listened to his message because they knew he had been with the Lord. And I wonder maybe if that might have happened when Jonah comes out of the fish. If maybe as he makes his way into town, it's not just his, his skin that has changed, but his demeanor, his presence has changed, his, his clothes have changed uh, a different color, and he is probably still in shock. Now, sometimes when things happen to us, uh, we're in, we've given him kind of a hard time, saying all he really did was spit out a few sentences and leave town, but it's possible that he still was in shock about what had happened and wondering what God was going to do next. 
And so we'll see here in this chapter uh, a little bit more about Jonah's feelings and what had happened in chapter 3. Now we, of course, notice that in Jonah 3, the king declares a fast. All the people decide they will repent, even their animals fast. And they begin to ask God for forgiveness. They put on sackcloth and ashes, which is something that the custom of the Jews was to do. Not all cultures did that. But they knew enough about the God of Israel and enough about their brand of worship that in order to repent, they put on sackcloth and ashes and began to be in prayer, begging God to save them and to save their city. Now, if you and I were a part of this event, if we had been here watching, observing Jonah, we might say Jonah has changed his heart. You know, from the Jonah we saw in chapter 1, who was just willing to let them all die and would not give the message to them, taking a ship to the opposite side of the earth, we would say this seems like Jonah has kind of changed a little bit. Maybe he not only respects God and the message of God, but maybe he has a little bit of an understanding about how these people were in sin. If you watch this many people repent, if you watch this many people give their lives back to God and say, we're sorry for what we've done, we, 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 we want to change our ways, you, you would be probably overwhelmed at this. I think I mentioned last week, I've been at a couple of assemblies where we've had uh, you know, 20, 30 people respond to the, to the message. I can't imagine every individual in the city responding to the message. So as we focus on that, think about if you're there watching Jonah, how you would feel noticing the way he acts in chapter 4. Would you see him as someone who was this great prophet of God that went about preaching the, the good news and went about telling people about the mercy and the forgiveness of the Lord? Would you see him as someone who's this great leader among the people of Israel that people admired and respected? Or would you see him how he is, as we see in the chapter 4? And the reason why I point that out is because I'll give you a little bit of a conclusion as we end as to why Jonah's image may change again as we finish the chapter. Let's begin at chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Now let's focus on this and, and what I think is, is happening here. Uh, this is chapter, is that chapter 3? Yeah, this is chapter 3. No, this is chapter four. <laughs> All right. The, the first one said three, so it threw me off. Uh, Jonah is displeased. That's the first four verses here. So it says that he is displeased. Did you see that word, displeased? Now, I don't know. Sometimes words are said and, and used that I may misunderstand the meaning. All I know that it was not pleasant when Jonah first revealed uh, or, or saw that the people were going to repent and change. And so the chapter begins on this sour note that this man who basically thinks that God is wrong, he basically is angry that God has offered forgiveness 
and, and mercy to these people, yet he says in these words he knew that would be God's response. Now, a couple things real quickly uh, about his, his, uh, his words here. It shows us, first of all, that he has not gotten over his prejudice of the people. He has not allowed himself to allow or to allow himself to have any forgiveness or any remorse that the people needed to have a second chance. He doesn't see it that way. And I want you to notice here the first thing he says, and, and it's, I don't know why it starts with, ah, Lord, <laughs> but you, could, you can sense with Jonah, he is not only angry about what happened, he's angry at who did it. His frustration is not that the people repented. His frustration is that God allowed it. This is a rare moment in Scripture when you see one of God's people writing a book, telling a story where they are the uh, negative character. Jonah says, God, I knew you'd do this. I knew it. I just knew that you would do this, and that's why I didn't want to leave. In fact, notice that he says there, when I was in my country. Did you see that? My country. He doesn't even, he, these people are not even worthy of him to pay a visit. The fact that his sandals had graced the ground of the Ninevites was ooh, earth-shattering to him. He didn't want to step on their land. He didn't walk inside their city. He didn't want to talk to their king. He didn't want to be around the people. He could care less if there's babies or animals in this city. They all deserve to die. Prejudice does that sometimes to us. That we're so offended by an individual or by a group of individuals that we automatically label every single one of them. And we look at them and say, they're all alike. You ever had somebody say that to you? They're all the same. We do that not just with race. We do it with age. We do it with age. I mentioned Wednesday night. I had a very difficult encounter. Still shocks me a little bit. Talked about it today at lunch with the lady at uh, Smoothie King that, that came at me and just started. I did not label all people of her age and older to be grumpy because one lady was grumpy. And some of us had interactions with young people and teenagers maybe even millennials, and we, we see that some of them, maybe a handful of those that we have witnessed, not the brightest bulb in the pack. And what would it mean if we labeled every single young person as the same? So this prejudice is not just race-related. It's also geographical. It would not have mattered if there were people in that city that were God-fearing. What if someone had been in that city and they had known God? Someone like a Rahab in Jericho, if you will. Jonah doesn't even give that a second thought because if they live inside that city, if they are a part of those people's, uh, you know, their, their, their community, they all need to die. And let me, let me make this a little personal real quick. I've heard people say, whenever there is war, and say in the Middle East, I've heard people say, wouldn't it be great if God just wiped them all off the face of the planet? You ever heard somebody say that? Those words ever came out of your mouth? Be honest. Have you heard somebody say that before? I just wish that they, they, I just wish every single one of them would be wiped out. That's a Jonah mindset. They're not worthy 
of forgiveness. They're not worthy of a second chance. They're not worthy of mercy. And God, I know who you are, and I know what you do, and I am not happy about it. I'm not happy. He's displeased. He's angry. And he says, I know you are one who relents from doing harm. The next person who tells you that God in the Old Testament was harsh, or God in the Old Testament was constantly punishing the people, and he, he had this disdain for anyone who wasn't an Israelite, you point him to the book of Jonah. Jonah says, I know that you are such a loving God that you would keep these people from harm. You would withdraw your punishment. So he says, that's why I didn't want to go. And I'll, I'll mention this one more thing, and then we'll open it up to some thoughts. What does God say? What right do you have to be angry here? Who are you, Jonah? Who are you? To have such anger in your heart for these people, for me, what right do you have? Jonah may not have it in his heart to save the world, but God does. Jonah may not have it in his heart to show forgiveness and mercy, but God does, and that's what makes God God and what makes Jonah Jonah. The challenge, one of the reasons why I believe this book was written, is to change the way the Israelites, specifically the Jews, thought about their neighbors. Being a good neighbor is not just being a neighbor to someone who has the same faith I do, lives in the same community I do, roots for the same ball team that I do. Being a good neighbor means everyone who is near to you and to me. And it was not a New Testament concept to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. It's in the law. It was written by Moses. We're talking about a couple thousand years before. And God says, I need you to love your neighbor. I need you to be good to your neighbor. I need you to be kind to your neighbor. I need you to treat those foreigners and strangers like family. Jonah didn't get it. Didn't want to do it. And God asks before we see his answer, why are you displeased? Why are you angry? Why, why do you have, do you think you have the right to be so angry with me? What are your thoughts about this confrontation that God has with, with Jonah? What do you think about his words here? Anybody? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. No, that's great. I think that's dead on. I think the same I think the same thing when I read Jonah. I think he, Job has this frustration and anger towards God wanting an answer as well. He didn't really get the answer he wants. Jonah really doesn't get the answer he wants either. The one thing too, real quick, who needs more grace here? Who needs more grace and mercy? Who needs the long-suffering of God? Well, I submit to you tonight, it wasn't the Ninevites. They received it. 
the one in the text that needs the most grace and mercy is Jonah himself. He's the one who needed to change. It's the reason why God sent him. Sometimes God will put things before us. We can call it a test. We can call it a temptation. You can call it whatever you want. But sometimes God allows things, as he did with Job, as he did with Jonah, to test our faith muscles, if you will. And we say, well, I can't do it. I don't want it. Take it away. Well, you know, Paul talks about that. His thorn in the flesh. He prays three times, doesn't get it removed. You know, we also see in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken us, but such is common to man. There's always a way of escape. But God believes in us more than we believe in ourselves, and he wants us to constantly improve our life. How can Jonah improve his life? How can he improve his spiritual walk? He's a prophet of God. He's well-respected. He's well-known. He's probably gone through the schools of the prophets. He's very educated. This guy, if you're going to put somebody up to do a gospel meeting or revival, you'd probably have him on the list. Very well-respected man. He may have got, as you can see from the text, the message of God, but he didn't let the message of God get him. He didn't let God's message of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness impact his soul. Instead, he had become more hardened by it. And the same thing is true. As we get older in our faith, we really challenge ourselves less and less because we have this expectation that because I've been a Christian for so long and I've gone to church for so many years and I've read my Bible through so many times and I've volunteered when necessary that I really can't stretch my spiritual muscles any more than I can right now. I just can't improve anymore. I've reached this pinnacle, this plateau of spiritual maturity that, uh, you know, I just, I don't need to be tested anymore. I've had people tell me, well, I don't teach class anymore. I'm retired. <laughs> you know, I said, did you get your pension? You know, I haven't got that yet. Hello. I, I don't do that anymore. I used to do that. I don't do it anymore. Uh, we're never put out to pasture, if you, as you, if, you, if you will. We're never told that we've reached a point where we need to stop teaching. In fact, Paul does the opposite. Paul says that you shouldn't teach, or you should teach, older women should teach younger women, older men should teach younger men. We're supposed to be, as we get older, becoming more involved and more uh, passing on more wisdom, more spiritual leadership. And so Jonah needed the grace, maybe even more than the Ninevites. What are some other thoughts you have? Anybody? All right, you got another one? Come on. Right. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Again, that shows the patience of God. It's a great point. Uh, it's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to have doubt. You know, Elijah had doubt. Moses had doubt. There's a moment where Jesus is in the garden asking God, if possible, to let the cup pass. Some people say, well, he did that because he knew the, the apostles were listening and, you know, trying to remind them that there was no other way. Well, if Jesus was just going through a show for the sake of those disciples, why did he sweat drops of blood? Jesus is wrestling in the garden with the decision that has to be made. 
Are those unworthy sinners really, are they really worth it? You know, Paul will say, uh, it's, it's easy to die for a righteous man. You know, it might not happen frequently, scarcely. But who would die for someone who's completely unwilling, unrepentant, uh, the worst of humanity? Who would do that? Well, Jesus did. And if you'll remember back even in the Old Testament, there are times that the greatest stories are when men and women of God wrestled with God. And I mean that figuratively and also literally, because you think about Jacob wrestling with the angel. God has a tremendous amount of admiration and respect for people who are willing to to push their spiritual boundaries, to try a little harder. Jacob wrestled all night. Why do you wrestle? Because half his family was over here, and half of his family was over here, and his brother, who he thought was about to murder the whole family, is headed this way. He's got nowhere to go. And he wrestles with that angel because he knows that somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to perish as a result of this. He realizes God, he's done a lot of bad stuff. He's got the idols still in his house. He's still got all these these things that he's done. He's he's lied. He's, He's manipulated people. And he's, he's a cheater. He's a, he's a thief, basically. And he knows that God could be punishing him. So he wrestles. And many times throughout Scripture, we see there's a reason why I wholeheartedly believe there is a reason why God didn't just give us the Ten Commandments. Most of us do not respond well to rules. We don't. Yeah, how many of you drove the speed limit on the way in? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, there's a lot of silence in here. Um, how many times have we tested boundaries and limits? We test God when we sin. In the text here with Jonah, he is not willing to try harder. He's not willing to give any more. He just basically says, I don't want this to happen, and I'm mad about it. And we have to have in our heart a, 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 a path of grace and forgiveness that is only available because of our relationship with the Lord. So a lot of people wrestled and have wrestled and will wrestle. And if you are a strong Christian, you've wrestled too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. And and you're going to see here that he... Uh, he's not, still not satisfied that God won't do something about it. You see, sometimes we think that because we can talk to God, we have his ear in prayer and we're a Christian and we do all the right things and, and do it in the right ways, that he ought to hear us. Jonah's complaint to God is in an attempt to maybe satisfy God a little bit and then maybe poke him until he does what Jonah wants him to do, which is to destroy the people. Yeah, Billy? That's right. Yes. 
That's right. And we have to believe, it's a great point, we, we have to believe that when people respond in repentance that it is sincere and it is something that will stick. We, we can't judge people and say, well, like Billy said, oh, I hope it sticks this time. We can't, we can't judge people based on that because of their past. God doesn't judge us based on our past. He gives us a chance to repent and change. Yes. Right. Right. That's right. I mean, we'll see it. Those of you who like football, you'll see it in this offseason. They'll be tossing players left and right. You know why? They haven't met the standards they set. Uh, we live in a very unforgiving culture. Very unforgiving culture. If somebody is marked for something they do, uh, we, we want to mark them forever. There are individuals who try to make a comeback even. They try to come back and say, oh, hey, look, I've changed. I've... And we don't, we don't like those redemption stories. We'll give them a hard time about those redemption stories. But yet we also repent, change, and start to walk on the light. And then we stumble and fall back into the darkness. And we get back up. And we come back to the Lord. And it doesn't matter if you come back. Jesus, Jesus has this interaction with Peter. You remember this? How many times do I need to forgive my brother? You know, is it seven times? Is that, that's, a, that's, a, that's double plus one from the Pharisees' view. And Jesus says 70 times seven. You know, a lot. As many times as they come and ask for forgiveness, you grant it. Uh, Luke says it uh, when he mentions about repentance. He says, and if they repent, forgive them. You're obligated to forgive if someone asks for forgiveness. You should do it. It's the right thing to do. But Jonah struggles. Let's look at the next few verses here, beginning at verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city. This is... (laughs) Have you ever had this image of Jonah having this argument with God on the mountain? Because I did. I don't know why, but I had this image. We miss little details, and the details are awesome. This is the reason why God gives us the whole Bible, not just the Ten Commandments. We need stories. We need illustrations. So here it is. They're having this argument before he leaves the city. Okay? So I used to see Jonah setting up on the side of the mountain. God, I can't believe he did this. I can't believe. He's not there yet. This is Jonah leaving town. Man, I can't believe you gave them forgiveness. I can't. You know, he's stomping his way out of town. He's, he's making his way out of the city. He's on the outskirts. So here all these people are praying, hoping that God doesn't destroy them and, and in prayer and in repentance, and Jonah's stomping out of town. I can't believe this. I knew you'd do this. This is why I'm so angry. Keep reading. So Jonah went out of the city It said, on the east side of the city, there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Jonah has this encounter with God. He makes his way to the outside of the city, and he places himself, it says, on the east side. Uh, This is something, I don't know if we, I love to teach kids the simplicity of learning east, west, north, south. If you can learn it at a young age, you can get just about anywhere. You get lost out here, you can find your way home. So where we're at here in the auditorium, okay, this is north, right? South, east, and west. All right. 
Why is he setting on the east side of the city? In the morning, in the morning, what happens in the east? Sun comes up. What happens in the west? Sun goes down. Uh, somebody mentioned over here about Sodom and Gomorrah. Who was it that mentioned that? Yeah, all right, Jeff. If he thinks there's going to be a show of fire and brimstone, when's that show going to take place? Dark. He goes out and he parks himself where he can get the best shot all day long for the rest of the day to watch this city. And the sun's going to rise and the sun's going to set. And he's going to sit right there. He's going to watch. He's got the best view. He's going to watch this city be destroyed. He still has it in his mind that God might not relent and do something about it. And as he sets himself watching the city, looking at the hoping he's going to see destruction, he's miserable. Remember, this is the desert. He's hot. God shows Jonah grace in chapter 1 when he runs. God shows Jonah grace when he sends the fish to swallow him because the fish protected him. God shows him grace by giving him a second chance. God gives him a second chance by allowing him to go into the city, preach the sermon, and leave. God is constantly showing grace and mercy to Jonah. Now, whether or not Jonah sees it or admits it or is praising God for it, the text tells us it's there. And I want to remind you of something we talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2. God prepares the storm. God prepares the fish. God prepares, we're going to see here, the plant. God prepares the wind. God prepares this little worm we're going to see here in a second. Which is interesting, because what do fish eat? Jonah, does, he's lost. All this is lost on him, okay? But God prepared every single part of the story. The only one who seems unprepared is Jonah. And maybe after this chapter, he'll be better prepared. So it tells us again, God allows this. And he makes himself a shelter, it says, to set in the, set in the shade. How long is he planning on staying? You know? You ever taken a walk out into the woods, start building a house? No? He's building a shelter. He's not putting up an umbrella. He's building a shelter. What do you do when you build a shelter? It takes some work, doesn't it? He thinks he's going to get him a good show, and he's going to sit here, and he's going to walk. I'm not leaving. This is the mentality of Jonah. I'm not leaving until you destroy the people. Because he knows them, and he knows that though they may repent and say, we're sorry, you know, as, as Billy mentioned a minute ago, for people who respond, I hope it sticks. Jonah's saying, I hope it doesn't stick. I'm going to park myself right here. I'm going to make myself a little shelter. And God prepares this plant to give him shade. I think it's interesting when it talks about him being miserable. He was miserable. So the shade comes up over his head, and it says that he was very grateful, exceedingly grateful, one translation says, for the plant God had prepared to rise up and to cover him. Let's look at the next few verses here. Verse 7. It says, but as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. There's that word prepare again. Prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. 
And the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so he grew faint. Then he wished for death for himself and says, is it, it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah is very discouraged. What a miracle for a plant to grow in just a short time, to rise up and cover Jonah's head. I don't know, <clears throat> I have for some reason always pictured Jonah bald-headed. I don't know why. But maybe he's worried about the sun scorching his scalp, and he's got this little plant. He's thankful for it, but God then allows the worm to kill it. Can you imagine the, the, the sadness of here? I've got, at, least, at least I've got the plant, you know? At least God gave me this plant. And then, boom, it falls over. A little tiny worm. How big's a worm, right, you know? This could be like a little, little tiny critter, okay? I doubt it was the size of the fish. God uses, as he prepared the big fish, he prepares this little tiny worm to come and eat it. And now, Jonah says, for the second time in this chapter, Lord, just kill me. Just, just take me now. There will be times in our lives where we will say, I wish, I just wish I could die. I just am so, I'm so frustrated and so angry and so depressed and it's so terrible. I try to remind our young people frequently that what they see as the end of their world, when they reach my age, they either won't remember it or it'll be such a small blip on the scale to everything else. And our young people, they need to know that life is so much more than high school, okay? That, that boy or that girl that you're crushing on, you know, you're, you're not even going to remember their last name in 20 years. You're going to have so many people come in and out of your life, so many wonderful Christian people, hopefully, that will influence you and mentor you and lead you, and hopefully one day you'll find the one that's meant for you. But they feel like sometimes that's their whole world, and Jonah cannot get out of Nineveh. He can't get Nineveh off his mind. He's not going to be satisfied until God something, does something about it. So this worm eats the plant, the plant falls down, and he's just like, oh, I wish for death. How could it be better for me to live? He's asking why these people get a second chance and why he has to live with this guilt and this sorrow because what's not noted in the text, what happens when Jonah goes home? There's a reason why he doesn't go home. Partially, probably waiting for the city to be destroyed, but also... He's going to have to walk into that city and tell Israelites who've lost their children, their spouses, their parents, at the hands of the Ninevites. He's going to have to go face the music when he gets home because they're going to say, where you been, Jonah? How was your trip to Tarshish? You know? And he's going to say, well, I had to go to Nineveh. Oh, did those people get what they deserve? And Jonah's going to have to tell them no. I brought a message of grace and they repented. Sometimes whenever you make a decision to let prejudice or to let anger go in your life, people won't be able to understand it. Watch these individuals who have to give testimony at the sentencing of someone who has murdered a loved one. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Some people saying, I hope you rot in there. And they deserve to. They probably deserve to. But there are once in a while the rare case of someone saying to them, I forgive you. 
I forgive you. That's a difficult thing to do, but it is a Christian thing to do. Very Christian. Not to say we hope karma gets you, like some of our religious friends, but to say I hope that you seek the forgiveness of God. Jonah is angry for a lot of reasons, but that's one that we might miss, is Jonah has to go home and tell people what he's done. He's going to have to answer to this for his, his uh, if you will, conversion of entire city. Sometimes it looks like a person in joy is being angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he said, I am just going to be so upset. He said, and if she has it on the table, he said, I'm going to be so mad I won't be able to eat a bite. <laughs> you know, he just enjoys right. anger. Right. And we have a lot of people we encounter yeah. throughout life like that. You know, and, and maybe you can relate to this that I, uh, I remember as a child, my dad played basketball in high school. And my uncle played basketball in high school. And so they watched basketball a lot. My dad still watches a lot of basketball. I like basketball. I watched actually the game last night, the Lakers game last night. But I, I don't really get as excited for basketball as I do other sports. But I remember my dad would watch certain games. We'd watch the Final Four, uh, things like that. And I remember the first time I thought basketball was awesome. We were watching Indiana play somebody. Bobby Knight was the head coach. You know where I'm going with this? He gets upset, he starts chucking chairs. And I thought, oh, ho, ho, this is cool. He didn't do it every game, but he'd get some mad and fired up and yelling, and they'd technical him, and he'd throw chairs and water bottles. And, and I thought, wow, this, is, this guy's angry. He's got an anger issue. You know, he's being anger management probably since he was a toddler, by this rage that's built up in him. But some people, you're, you're right, Lewis, there are some people that just absolutely enjoy being angry. That's all they know to do. They, that's, their, that's their go-to emotion. It's just mad, mad as fire. I've seen people, sometimes they get, their face just gets so red. And uh, there was a man, actually, at a congregation where I preached, that every time I'd preach on certain subjects he didn't like, his, his face had turned so red and I, I thought he was going to burst. Somebody need to drain some tomato juice out of that guy. You know, so here, here we, we, we have these people, individuals, maybe even we ourselves, that there's topics that come up, subjects that come up, and we just get so fiery mad and angry about it. And God's point to, to Jonah is he has no right to be angry. God has shown him grace, and he's shown these people grace. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 It's a great point. At what point in the story, Jonah, did you think this was about you? Yes. His perspective. And that's why I believe this book was written. I think Jonah writes the story not to paint himself as a hero, 
but to show the Israelites uh, this is what really happened, and I'm glad it happened. That's why he pens the book, I believe. Let's look at these last few verses here real quickly. Um, Jonah's ready for death. He says, uh, God says to him, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, is it right for me to be angry even to death? And then it says, but the Lord said, you have had pity on a plant for which you didn't labor, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not, this is the key to the whole thing, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, great as in size, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. If you can't have pity on the people, have pity on the babies. You can't have pity on the babies, have the pity on the animals. Because there, is there some pity that could be given to these people, Jonah? And the book ends with this cliffhanger of what are you going to do, Jonah, with this message? Well, we know what Jonah did. He wrote it down. At this point, his conversation with God has ended the same as it does in Job. God asks a question, and Job can't answer. God is showing us as the readers that in these four chapters, this is not a story about a fish. This is not a story about a Ninevite city. This is not a story about a plant and a worm. And in that way, it's not really a story about Jonah himself. It's a story about God's very nature to forgive sinners, to allow people to have a second chance if they repent. If they say, I'm sorry, they say, I, I shouldn't have done this, I regret it, God forgives. His overwhelming forgiveness. And sometimes, if we find ourselves resting in grace, we forget to appreciate when we see grace in other people. We're used to it ourselves, but we're shocked when someone else makes a decision to follow God. How could they become a Christian? How could they, after all the things that they've done, just like as Billy mentioned, the prodigal son, that older brother, he wasn't too excited to see his brother on the road. Basically, now I'm going to have to share everything I've got. You know, he got his half of the inheritance, and uh, now he's come back, and I'm going to have to share again. He killed the fatted cat. Didn't kill it for me. I didn't even got a goat. You, know, you can't even give me a goat, you know, but here, you can't give me a sheep, nothing. You just give a fatted calf to this kid who wasted all your money on harlots. And, and the father very lovingly reminds him that his brother was dead and he's been resurrected. He lives again. A parallel to us in baptism that we have died and we have been resurrected. We're not the same person we used to be. That boy that's in the house that is your brother. He's not the same boy that left. He's changed. Jonah recognized the Ninevites have changed. It may be for a season. It may just be for a short time. But they have changed. And he's going to have to tell the people of Israel what happened. Sometimes I wonder if maybe he wrote the book. And then they said, what happened? What happened when you went to Nineveh? Well, here you go, read it. It's going to be a bestseller. And then he takes off back somewhere else. Try to get that ship to Tarshish again. Or he may have stayed with the people and explained Mm-hmm. 
That's right. I hadn't thought about Bobby in a while. You know, he passed away, and his widow gave me files and files of his sermons. I will look for that one. That's a good. That sounds like a good one. The pouting preacher. He's got his lip out all the time. You seen you know, kids like this? That's that's a great illustration of Jonah. Uh, let me leave you with two thoughts, takeaways. Number one, even the greatest can fall from grace. Even someone who we love and we admire can make mistakes. Everybody, everybody sins. And the second one is, where's the happy ending? Where's the happy ending in Jonah? Make your own happy ending. The happy ending to Jonah is, who are the Ninevites in your life? Who are the enemies in your world, in your community? And how can you show them grace when they don't deserve it? That's what Jonah, to me, the message is. There's no happy ending. You have to make your own happy ending. Show forgiveness. Don't be prejudiced. Learn to forgive. Learn to love. Learn to show mercy and grace. That's what God ultimately wants from his people. He desires mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice is great, but he desires mercy. All right, that's all we got for tonight. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.